0: Get ready. Today's show is going to bring you hope. Well, hello. Welcome to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. I am Heidi Mortensen, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, and I'm so excited to have with me my friend, Melissa Hooray. Hello, Melissa.
1: Hi, Heidi.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: I've been looking forward to this so much.
0: Yeah, we've been. Tr- I've been trying to get her on because I could not put her book down. This is called Blackout to Blessings. Melissa is amazing. You need to hear her testimony. Um, She is the executive director of the Lindell Recovery Network and the co-host of the Hope Report and the author of the book, Blackout to Blessings. So I'm so excited to have you on the show and actually have you on my show instead of you and I just talking and, and meeting for coffee. So welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you for coming on
1: yeah, thank you, Heidi. Your friendship has been such a blessing. And I had been praying for some strong, godly women to come into my life. And so I've really enjoyed getting to know you and following your ministry. and the things I've learned really about mental health from you, i like I said, I keep talking about you on on the Hope report. It seems like every other day there's a Heidi story that comes up,
0: yeah, that's so <laughs> that's so awesome. I mean, it just shows though that your openness of wanting to really hear different parts of what God wants wants us to to understand because um, your testimony is extremely powerful. And I would love for you to get into that. So why don't you share just a little bit about of your about yourself and then share your testimony?
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Yes, it's an honor to be here. I just, you know, the Lord has been opening doors for me with this story. I really feel that it's his story, whatever happens with it, if it blows up, it's going to be because of him. It's not going to be because I got three minutes on somebody's stage. And I think for a while I was trying to kick down doors that weren't my doors. But yeah, I just pray he'll take my story and use it for his glory. I I grew up in Northern Minnesota and, you know, I know a lot of kids grow up with difficult families and struggles and things like that, but I, I had, um, alcoholic family. i really, my dad was, was a really bad alcoholic and it grew worse as the years went on. And the main thing that it created in me was this abandonment wound and just, uh, a, a fear that nobody was going to be there for me, that I didn't have any security. There was this instability in the family and that created a lot of anxiety, just a lot of irrational thoughts, irrational fears. And back in the eighties, I don't think anybody knew what was going on with me. My mom would say, oh, Melissa's going through a stage because I would have mm-hmm. these panic attacks. I would just freak out if I had to you know, do something strange or unfamiliar. My dad left me in cars. And the, the mm. point of that is, you know, that early Experience. I, I had an abandonment wound. I, I had this feeling of rejection because I wasn't able to, I guess, find attachment with my parents the way that I wanted to and needed to. And then I just moved into ways to try to medicate that. And it became, first, it was trying to lose weight, really. It was trying to think my physical body was going to be a way to get people to to love me, to you know, want to be around me, and and I went on a crash diet, lost a bunch of weight, and then when boys started to notice me, that became this recipe for a lot of sin because I started moving in with an older crowd, and I started uh, drinking, dr- just moved into the world of drinking, and unfortunately, I was hoping I wouldn't be just like my dad, but right away I had this really compulsive uh, drive to drink. From the first time I drank, I was having blackouts. I was just not doing anything I promised to do, not coming home at night. When I was 16, I started drinking and driving. And with my dad's alcoholism, my mom was more occupied with him. So it gave me a lot of license to run wild and be rebellious. And I I should mention, I, we did have now, my parents were Christians. I guess they would say, you know, they believed in God, but there was never any kind of modeling, you know, how to walk with Jesus or having a relationship with Jesus. We didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. We didn't read the Bible together or anything. So there wasn't really any kind of um, you know, real solid witness or discipleship. So I started mm-hmm. just bonding with the things that I could that were just these directionless kids in my school that drank beer and drove Ford trucks and that's that's kind of how it started with my descent into wickedness, if you will.
0: Yeah, and I one of the reasons why I could put you down your book is because I would say that it's fiction, but it's nonfiction because it's your story and it's real. But you you wrote it like a story, and so you really get into wanting to know what happens, like what's going to happen and what's going on in Melissa's life. And and you know, I read a lot of nonfiction books and. And, and I love that. And the reason why is because when I read fiction books, I don't function. I like, you know, I can't put it down. That's all I want to do. And that is actually what happened to your book, um, because it, it is it's you're, you're talking about your life, your story. You go from one guy to the next. You, you're talking about the details of what you would eat and what you were thinking about and the negativity about yourself and i think this is what is so needed and why i really liked your stories cuz often and again i'm not like degrading other degrading other people's testimonies but we'll just hear i was a drunk god save me now i'm good and a lot of times we say we don't want to give like you know energy to the enemy or pay attention to the enemy but in your story what you can do is you can pull out other people's story like you other people can read that and say that's me I was binge eating and then throwing up or I was like taking these pills and focusing on how do I look in this or how do I look in that? I mean, it is such a classic s- story for so many people of being obsessed the way they look, trying to get other people to like them, trying to get attention and and not even really knowing that you're doing it. So could you talk about how, what made you write the story that way?
1: Yeah, well, thank you for saying you couldn't put it down. I think that's the best compliment. You know, anyone can say that they pick it up and they're they're captivated by it. And part of it is just this memory that I have. I I feel mm-hmm. like the Lord has blessed me with just a very um, ability to remember just the most insignificant, seemingly insignificant, minute details. I I remember things very vividly. And that was part of what helped me in my family. I talked about how I would go into this other world and I would become the people on my TV show sitcoms, or I would read books and I would be captivated by people like Nancy Drew and the teen heroines because it gave me an escape from the real family that I had, which was a 980 square foot converted cabin house and an alcoholic dad and junk cars in the driveway and all these things that were my reality. So I always had this inner, very vivid life that I would turn to. And writing was always therapeutic for me. I mean, from age eight, I remember having a little diary and writing in there and thinking this is my special book I can put whatever I want in here and I feel like the Lord gave me that he gave me you know a writing gift and ability to remember things for, and I'm getting the chills saying this, but I, you know, he uses everything for the good. And someday I was going to come and write about those experiences that were so painful in the moment and be able to share them with others. And there's nothing really special about my story, but the special part really is just the God's pursuit of me. And that's the thing I want people to get from it is, yeah, it's about addiction. It's about redemption, but it's about him chasing me. It's about him never losing sight of me. And when we're lost in our We can feel like he's forgotten us and he doesn't care about me. And I really felt lost in my family with my dad, his addiction and, you know, getting arrested and all the things are going on with him. My mom was focused on him. My brother was an all-star student and athlete. Nobody was worried about him. And I just got lost in the shuffle. But I learned that the Lord never took his eyes off me. And that's what I want people to get from the story is that he loves each one of us like that with an everlasting love. So it's a story of, of breaking it free from addiction, but it's also about redemption. It's about coming into that, knowledge that I am his beloved daughter, you know, and finding identity in him and that I'm not an orphan. I'm not this lost child that nobody loves or notices who always gets passed over because that's how I felt, but that each one of us has something so special that God wants to, um, you know, draw out of us. And when we're in mired in addiction or just in bondage to self and our focuses on how we look or how people are seeing us or fear of man, it prevents us from walking out the calling, you know, the calling that he has on our life. And he wants each of us to be free to do that. So I hope that's the message people get from the book above all is that, yeah, I went through 15 years of blackout binge drinking and just these back and forth attempts to stop. And I tried so many things of the world because I was always looking for a way to, Like a lot of people do, maybe when they're looking for therapy, they want this person to fix them and they're looking outside for the answers. I never turned to God. I never turned to um, the one who could really heal me and help me and maybe point me to people like you, if that were needed, you know, that that's important too. He uses the things of the world, but I was always focused outward but I will say one thing about intercessory prayer and the power of that. I had people who prayed for me. I had that lady in my neighborhood named Marge who the Lord had placed in my life at a young age. My grandma, even though she was rough and she she wounded me in some ways, she also prayed for me. And over mm-hmm. time those seeds started speaking to me. Those seeds, you know, we probably witness somebody gets witness to what hundreds of times maybe before they actually come to a saving relationship with Jesus. But those seeds started whispering to me when I was in the depths of my addiction and I had tried everything and I was just so broken, so sick of myself, so sick of failing and relapsing again and again. And I knew he was the answer. There was something in me that was coming to life, you know? And so eventually I just came to the end. I had to surrender. My father uh, died of liver failure when he was 54. And after that, the Lord really stepped up his pursuits of me. And it felt like something supernatural happened, something shifted where- Hmm where he was like closing in on me. It was like, time is running out. And I had, I drank like six more times, but I came to the end and I was just crushed by the sin and the, just the misery. It was so miserable. And I knew the things like AA and therapy and books and all the stuff I tried, it was marginally helpful, but it didn't heal. It didn't bring me lasting deliverance and redemption. And I knew he, the answer wasn't him. And when I finally su- just surrendered, you know, I just gave up the fight and I said, Lord, um, I want to serve you. Please help me. My prayer was, was not that God. profound. It was please don't ever let me drink again was really my prayer. And I meant it from my heart. I really never wanted to drink. And the biggest part about my story is that I didn't drink again and it's been 20 plus years. So I look at Come that on. track record. That's from the Lord. That's not anything mm-hmm. I did. I, I, You'll mm-hmm. read in the book about how I tried so many ways and different, you know, to control it and make it work. It was only in him when I surrendered that he met me with his grace.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing. And I think some people listen and be like, well, you need counseling or you need AA and you need all these things. And as a counselor, I I would not agree with that. Every single person needs something different. Not everybody is going to benefit from counseling. Not everybody's going to benefit from AA. We all have to identify what it is that we need. And I think that the the biggest thing that I would say with you is when you're talking about surrender, so many people don't even know what that means. Like they'll say like, I mean, just like you said, your parents were like Christian. You know, we have a lot of people that will say they're Christian. And again, I'm not judging that they're not or that they are. But it's this place of if you are surrendered to God, your life is not your own, Galatians 2.20. And so that there really should be something that looks different in your life because your life is now God's. You've said yes to him. You've surrendered to him. And when that happens fully with your heart, fully with your heart, like, I don't want to drink again. God, help me to not drink he actually came in and supernaturally changed that within you where you don't drink, like you stop drinking. And I, can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Like, cause I know you're a fan of counseling, you're not against yeah. it, um, but talk about how, why is that different for, why do some people, it, they just stop drinking, but some people need AA, some people need counseling, some people need treatment. Why is it so different?
1: Yeah, I'll share, you know, what I can from my own experience and like I said before I actually quit for good in 2003, I had a period of 18 months of sobriety and I had gotten 2 DWI's and that's kind of what was the catalyst for that and I was required by the court to go to AA meetings and get a sponsor and I had some probation and I had to go to an outpatient treatment program. It was pretty mild, it was more of just a 12 step group. Um, It wasn't really hardcore or anything. So I did those things and I didn't struggle that much with not drinking, but in the back of my mind, I still had the door open. And the way that I talked, if you were to talk to me, you could, you would, if you had any discernment, you'd know that I wasn't done because I'd say, oh yeah, I'm not drinking right now, but you know, we'll see. We don't know what the future brings. Who knows what the future brings. I would talk like that. And I was Mm -hmm. very resentful about people who could drink. I, I, I coveted that lifestyle. I was bitter and angry that I couldn't do it. So I would just avoid it. I'd have to lock myself in my apartment, for example, on like New Year's Eve or things like that. I was very jealous that everybody was out partying and I couldn't. So I basically mm. locked myself in my apartment and wept. So that was like mm. sobriety under hostage. I mean, it was, wow. doing it, yeah, it was, it was like fear. That's of a good voice. word. <laughs> I don't know. I just, thank you, Holy Spirit. I think it just came to me. Yeah. I was yeah. only doing it, I was white knuckling it. And it was like, this is no kind of freedom, but I didn't want to go to jail. So, I, and in therapy, I'm sure you meet <laughs> lots of people, and I did in treatment counseling too, where it's, there's a strong external motivator they're going because they have to, and maybe they'll get something out of it. And, and some, some do very well and, and they can, even if they're mandated, they may come to a lasting change, but probably 75% were, were going back to their old lifestyle of the people that I would work with in group treatment. So I had to get to the end of myself and mm-hmm. I had to go through that and go through those attempts of trying to make it work in my own power and try and You know, I just found the enemy would lie to me and he would say, well, you're not really an alcoholic. Like you just had a drinking problem because you, your life was messed up, but now you have it in order. So it starts with believing the lie, you know, believe one lie. Well, I can have one beer. I can keep it under control. I'll just not black out. It it was all this thinking and rationalization, believing lies. And then I would start agreeing to certain sins and the sins would get greater and greater. And I went through that. So the Lord let me go through that, I think, until I came to the end of myself. And I was at the end of myself. Like, there's nothing I can do about myself. He had to do a work in me. And so I don't know. It's hard to describe surrender. It was just this moment of coming out of a blackout in a strange motel room and not knowing how I got there and remembering nothing and being so just it, bankrupt physically, emotionally, spiritually miserable, and so desperate, just so just never been so desperate in my life. And I just begged him to please help me not drink again. And I never Mm -hmm. drank again. That is not to say I wasn't emotionally healed. And I think that's where the therapy piece comes in. I maybe was a little naive to think, oh boy, you know, I'm great. I'm fixed. And I didn't have any compulsion, craving or urge to drink. And I haven't forever. I never have. I've never had a day where I, and people don't believe it when I tell them this, they think, well, there surely must be some days where you had a rough day at work and you think, oh, I want to go get a drink. Or you, you miss it. It's like it never existed. I mean, I know I lived that life, but it has no mm-hmm. pull for me. No allure, no draw. I didn't, I could go to bars and pe- You know, I wouldn't suggest you do this, but people could be doing shots all around me. I mean, there, there is no draw for me, but I still had other things that you know about, like, like fear of man, like people pleasing these things I had learned in my family that were very hard to break. And that Mm -hmm. has taken, you know, a long time of the sanctification to try to work through that.
0: Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about your blackout experiences, um, for somebody who is like, Oh, like, I feel like there's some people listening that are like, well, I don't have that bad of a drinking problem. And, you know, like, I don't get to that point, but I think that there are some people that do. And I don't think that there's a comparison. Like, it's not about that Melissa would black out and you don't. Um, So maybe just talk a little bit about what, why would you black out? Like, talk a little bit about a couple of your stories of like, just getting to that point and like, almost like, like a demon took over you. Like you had no control of your body.
1: Heidi, I said that on the show today. I said exactly what you just said, because I was talking about familiar spirits. I was talking about, you know, how it's unbiblical to seek psychics, mediums. I was doing a show on that, and I started to go into what would happen to me when I drank. Because the Arabic word for alcohol is actually al I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, but it means body-eating spirit. And oh. as far as my blackouts <laughs> go, I, I believe I was genetically predisposed to blacking out because I just had this compulsion when I drank. And my cousin asked me about this. He said, Melissa, what's the difference between blacking out and passing out? And I said, oh, I thought I explained that in the book. I must not have explained it very well. But, you know, passing out, you drink too much and you, you, you know, crash on the couch and you're, you're sleeping, you're, you're, you know, you're not awake, you're, you're not functioning at all. But when you blackout, it's essentially when you drink so fast that your blood alcohol rises rapidly and then it shuts down memory storage in the hippocampus. So um, you can, you have no long-term memory storage. You are able to have working memory. Like if you have to remember a phone number really quick to dial it. You may have one to two minutes of working memory, but you have no long-term memory storage. So it's like a big chunk of time that is cut out of your life. You're never gonna get it back. You're not gonna hallucinate it back. I mean, it's gone. It was never downloaded into your brain. So what this would be like for me would be like maybe going out to a bar and you know I'm at the bar, say I'm dancing, I'm singing karaoke. The next thing I know, I'm I'm in my bed. Or someone else is in my bed. It's like, how did this happen? And then I would wake up in a panic, just a full on panic attack. Because, well, physiologically, when you drink a lot, you know, it's a depressant, depresses your central nervous system. Then as the alcohol is coming out of your body, you have a lot of excitatory neurotransmitters going on. So the panic, the adrenaline, that that's what would happen for me. I'd wake up just like, oh my gosh, what happened? Where's my daughter? My my these thoughts would flood back. I'd run to the window, look for my car. And then I would just panic, trying to remember what was the last thing I can remember. Where was I? Oh, I was at the bar. It was like eight o'clock. I remember talking to that guy and sometimes i'd have witnesses that would piece things together and it would say oh yeah remember when you were doing this or oh my gosh we left your car at such and such a place you're not sleeping you're walking talking you have the ability to carry on complex conversations the thing is you won't remember what you said five minutes later so if i'm talking to you on the bar stool next to me i could be telling you this whole story And then five minutes later, I'll be saying, what was your name again? What was your name again? You will notice blacked out people repeat themselves over and over again because everything is new. You have no ability to learn anything. It's really a frightening way to be because you have no ability to make rational choices, to think, to plan, to sequence. You're very impulsive. Like some stranger comes by, hey, let's go off to this bar. Okay, I'll just jump in your car. There's a couple of really good books on blackouts. There's not a lot of research on them, as you can imagine, because it's not very ethical to induce blackouts with people and research them. But there's a few academic books and some studies that I find absolutely fascinating because I look at how I was in blackouts, how reckless. And like you said, it is like a demon takes over your body. I had people record me. I had some recordings of myself and I was absolutely just horrified at it. Who is that? It's It's like someone else comes into your body, walks for you, talks for you, says things you never would say. And this isn't to blame my behavior. It's it's having no memory. I mean, when I had my second DWI, I don't remember it happening. The next thing I remember, I was walking around a convenience store. I was like getting food. I was just like wanting to stuff my face. And these police came up to me and they said, were you in an accident? And I just looked at them confused because I didn't have any idea what they were talking about. Looked out at my car and it was all, the front end was all smashed in. You probably remember that from my book, but I just nodded. Yeah. About, like. I guess I was in an accident. I, I mean, I had no memory. My last memory was singing karaoke at the bar. Next memory, you know, maybe six hours later is walking around the convenience store. It's, it's a very, it's reckless. And I was a menace on the roads. And I just thank God that I never killed anyone or, uh you know, died driving around in blackouts.
0: Well, I think it's why I'm glad that you're speaking your story because um, I think a lot of people, one, they feel shame about this and that you're just talking about it. And so I, I'm just very thankful for that. And even when you were talking about like, God was really pursuing me in this, um, you want to just read a little section of it, yeah. um, in chapter yeah. nine, it's you're with your friend, Drake. And he said, Melissa, I think you have a drinking problem. You're an alcoholic. And he insisted one night that we bickered on the, you know, on the long drive back to superior from the crowbar in Brule, Wisconsin. And you're, and you respond like my dad, you're saying, I guess we can't all have leave it to beaver family like you do. And so even in your book, I just love how you kind of have this like little attitude, like, you know, and I can just see you kind of, you know, just getting into it with people. Um, Chuckling (laughs) Halloween, I lowered the window an inch to flick a butt out as Drake's grip tightened angrily on the steering wheel. He despised smoking, especially in his prize truck, but the alcohol allowed me to swallow his disdain without fear or reproach. And then, so then later you said, so I have a few beers and now I'm instantly a drunk. 18 year olds can't be alcoholics. And, and this, I mean, this just is exactly what yeah. you're talking about where like the enemy's speaking things to you, you know, 18 years, 18 year olds can't be alcoholics. But I feel like even you had people like this, that even in the midst of your drunkenness of your unhealthy choices, you know, rude behavior, you know, God was speaking to yes. you through someone that was kind of partnering with you in this, that there was still people recognizing, I don't think this is okay. And I feel like I see this, like in the party scene, that there will be like angels, you know, even the one person who is maybe less drunk than everyone else helps all the others. And is like, Hey, I think maybe you have a problem. You know, you, so you have one yeah. drunk person, but a little less telling the one other person who's really drunk, I think you might have a problem. And so like God still uses even people who are sinning to, to communicate. And I think some of us can kind of let go of things and just be like, oh, it all has to be this perfect Christian. And, Mm -hmm. and that's the way God changes things. It's like, no, like we help people even in our broken state. And even in the midst of our, I I feel like I'm saying this because I think there's some people that have a lot of shame in their story and just Mm -hmm. like, God's like redeeming that. He's totally redeemed your story and your history. And I just want to encourage that for the people listening, that God redeems that shame, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he doesn't see that. He's not mad at you. Just like with you, like you experienced radical deliverance. Like I think that's why you don't have that desire to drink. Yes, there are some of the emotional issues, but that he took that away, like that's deliverance. That's yeah. what God says in the Lord's Prayer. Like he delivered you. Oh, and yeah. so I'd love to
1: know like what what's God showing you now?
0: I what's love what you, you- I love yeah. what you
1: just said, especially about shame. I mean, shame is such a, a burden. And I, I saw a quote somewhere that said, put your shame to work for you. You know, the enemy would love it if we just Whoa. stayed silent. There's I write about bedwetting in my book. And that was one of the, the most shameful, embarrassing things is like drunken bedwetting. And I'm telling you, honestly, that yeah. before it was getting released, I was like, oh, gosh, I wish I would have taken that out. <laughs> but um, no, no it's There's shameful stuff that for all of us, no matter what, what are, if it's addiction or something else. And you asked about, you know, it doesn't have to be extreme blackouts. I mean, if alcohol or drugs or whatever idolatry is, is occupying your time, it's, it's taking you away from the Lord. It's, you know, controlling your mind and it's rendering you ineffective for the kingdom. I love what you said about Drake. He was one of those stable guys I couldn't stick with because he was, he was stable. And there were people in the book, like you said, even in the bar people uh, like when repo man came to the bar and I had that guy at the bar say, Hey, you don't have to sign those papers. And I was able to go and, and make an arrangement with the car company. So my car didn't get repossessed. Like God would offer me like little glimmers. Like you said, Mm -hmm. so I love how you said that you don't have to be perfect, walking uprightly and righteously. Mm -hmm. We can help people. We can pull them out no matter where we're at. But I mean, the Lord is just showing me, he keeps breaking me of, I guess myself, he keeps, and and like, you know, about this book, I tried to write it in 2005. I was all fired up like, oh, I'm going to write a story to help people. And I had no wisdom. I had, you know, only been sober a couple of years and I just wanted to do it ahead of God. And my whole story is about trying to get ahead of him and not yielding to him and not waiting on his timing and being patient. So the, you know, the book, didn't do anything. It just became moldy, moldy books in my garage. And I learning to wait on him and yield to him and to be Mm -hmm. just grateful for everything he's already done, even if he never does another thing. I I'm trying to get out of this. Wanting the, and it's not that I want things for myself, just kind of like my goals and what do I do next? Just trying to do the next right thing, as they say in AA, and just every morning spending time with Him and in the Bible, because my worth is in the Word and in His presence. That's something that came to me the other day. It's cool. not in the approval of man. It's not getting on somebody's Fox News show or whatever. It's if those doors don't open, that's fine. It's who's He putting in front of me that I can just talk to or maybe share Jesus with or talk talk about my story I'm trying to simplify my life down into those things and just leave it to God whatever he wants to do with my life
0: (laughs) that's so good and you are the host of the hope report and um so it's a you want to maybe talk a little bit about that and um how people watch you
1: and and get your book yeah, I'd love to. I so I've been working for Mike Lindell for about five years. I was an addiction counselor uh, for twelve years in outpatient treatment centers, and you know, did many, many, uh, uh, group. I did groups every day for twelve years. I think I did five groups a week. I was seeing about fifty-five people, including the groups and everything, and it was starting to be really difficult. I was struggling a lot in that and praying a lot and asking God, you know, to open a door. I, I didn't want to walk off the job or do anything, you know, without him leading me. And, and around 2017, I became aware of Mike's testimony, Mike Lindell's testimony as a recovered crack addict. And then through a series of events, the Lord led me to his company or for this, um, Nonprofit, he wanted to start to help addicts. It's called the Lindell Recovery Network, and it's basically a self service website where people can go and seek, find Christian treatment centers, free or low cost help find churches in their area where they can connect with, you know, groups and different recovery supports. And then we have the Operation Restored Warrior program on there and a couple thousand testimonies. So we, I, I came on with him and started building this platform with him. I loved his heart. He doesn't believe addiction is a disease. He just wants to help people. That's what he's always said, whether it's through pillow, sharing his story, you know, the things he does, he's wanted to pull up the underdog. Mike's a champion for the underdog. And I think I am too. That's one of my things. I just... You know i just want to i'm i'm just an average person and i i want people to, but there's something special about each one of us that god wants to do so yeah that was a god thing that mike's like melissa this is a divine appointment you know i'm i want to hire you <laughs> i said really do you want to do an interview and he's like no i knew i wanted to hire you he just had me come in and then i guess he just hired me <laughs> so it's been wow. five years and then uh, wow. three, year, three years ago we started the hope report so we do or uh, i do a show every day at noon it's just to bring encouragement to people. I have some testimonies and Bible teachings. It's every day at uh, noon central on frankspeech.com. And then we have a YouTube channel and it runs on all social media. So I love doing it. I feel like the Lord has uh, given me a really amazing, amazing job that I love to do for him. And, you know, I've got my little ministry here and I just, I just, every day I love showing up here in the Hope Report mm-hmm. World Headquarters, you know, to- yeah. um, just yeah. <laughs> share what the Holy Spirit has downloaded and interview amazing people like you. And I, I love it. I love it. It's a huge blessing being able to do this work. Well, it is
0: just a blessing that you are stepping out and, and speaking like you are and sharing your story. Um, so really hoping that this book gets to many people. So you can oh, yeah. buy her book on Amazon. Um, you can also go to Um, Her website is M-E-L-I-S-S-A-H-U-R-A-Y. .com um and then is there anything else that you want to share before you you pray
1: no i mean i, I love the website not- i i have i found this christian web developer i had been struggling to get a website together and i found <laughs> this guy who believes in the lrn and i think he did an amazing job on it i have all my other articles i did for charisma media on there and a bunch of interviews i'll put this interview up there too and you can order the book there but yeah i just um i just pray it blesses people i i had a friend say it was like a taking a whisk broom to the soul with the Holy Spirit, digging out the nooks and crannies. So I think the Lord will put it into the hands of the people who need it and it will touch people in different ways. That's good.
0: That's good. I would love it if you could pray for us.
1: I would love that. Heidi, I just want to tell you, I'm so grateful for your friendship. And I have been... Like I said, praying when I meet women, it's one of two things that happen. It's easy, either I have to work really hard and perform in the relationship because I may be intimidated by them a little and I got to perform, especially with a lot of therapy people, because I had a lot of mm. therapy friends. The other extreme is <laughs> I feel like they're emotionally draining. So you are perfect. Uh, it's like the porridge that is just right. <laughs> so I, I'm just grateful for you and thank you for having me on your show. But I'd love to pray. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Lord, we just come before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I, I just thank you, first of all, for Heidi and this amazing ministry. I thank you for how intentional you are, how faithful you are, how you respond to our prayers and the the things in our heart that you know that we need, Lord. Um, I pray that you would bless Heidi's ministry. Just continue to use her mightily for, for your work. And thank you for the calling you have on her life and I pray that you'd bring just abundance and blessing into her life and bless her family, protect her family. And Lord, I just ask you to take this book and I know that I I really believe I wrote it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and I pray you'd use it all for your glory, that whoever is listening, that maybe they're struggling with shame or sin or addiction or maybe it's just feeling unloved. Lord, I pray you would get it into the hands of the people who will be blessed by it and that you would get all the glory for that, that your name would become more famous and that people would, would believe that nothing else could save me other than your power. So Jesus, I just pray you would touch people right now, people who need healing, who need help, that you would breathe the Holy Spirit upon them. Fill them in a new way, Lord. Let them experience you in a way they never have. And Jesus, I pray if there are people listening who are never accept who have never accepted you, that today would be the day that they repent of their sins and they submit to you and they commit to following you all the days of their life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank
0: you so much.
1: Thank you, Heidi.
0: Thanks for listening to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread mental health awareness with Jesus at the Center. You can also check me out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or my website at HeidiMortensonLMFT.com. See you at our next episode.